I have a question, please. Uh, sir, the Q&A is after my statements, but you know what? You seem anxious. Thank you. How can I help you? How are you? Fine, thank you. Would you say that it is a possibility or a probability that subprime losses stop at 5%? Thank you. I would say it is a very strong probability, indeed. When we rolled out the new variable rates package... Excuse me. The, um, Yes, sir. Zero. Zero. There is a zero percent chance that your subprime losses will stop at five percent. Zero. Excuse me. I have to take this. I'm he must sorry. be from Bank Hi, of America. <laughs> Mark Brown really did that. When we were in Vegas, he did that. He said that. He took the call. Now you see what I had to deal with. Welcome to The Rank with John and Zach. I'm John. I'm Zach. We've been friends since Cub Scouts, and now 30 years later, we decided to start a podcast where we'll be ranking anything and everything. You know, the natural progression of events for millennials. You're probably wondering what credentials we have to rank anything. Well, we don't have any. If you disagree, <laughs> join the discussion at Twitter at, at the Rank Podcast, on our website at therankwithjohnandzach.com. Or email us at therankwithjohnandzach at protonmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at The Rank Podcast. And remember, please rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep this thing going. Anyway, enjoy the show. I like Fig Newtons. That's what I'm doing right now. (laughs) Nobody's ever eaten a fig outside of a Newton, I don't believe. That could very well be true. I do have a fig tree in the backyard, though. You have a fig tree? yeah, so once it starts fruiting, I'll, I'll, I'll eat figs outside of a Newton. Well, as uh, the scripture says, everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. That's what I was thinking when I planted it. <laughs> and they'll be safe in this nation we've made? I don't know if that's actually from the, from the scripture, but um, Washington sings that in One Last Time, the song from Hamilton. I was actually really confused when you said Washington sings that. I'm like, who mm-hmm. the fuck? Because are you talking about George Washington sings that? And then when yes, you said from, from Hamilton, I'll, oh, right, okay, because they sing. I literally am talking about George Washington, the father of our country. <laughs> you didn't know? He was, a, he was a singer as well, a pop star even. Also like a really nice slave owner. Actually, you know what's funny about him? People like to ascribe the idea that he freed his slaves upon his death mm-hmm. but in reality he had like 10 slaves and mm-hmm. his wife had like 100 <laughs> or 200 so it was like a way for him to save face she just kept all her slaves and she sent them on to the rest you know to the family well that's that's uh that's a nice note to move on from now i'm, <laughs> I'm kind of bummed <laughs> There's a lot of honorable things about it. It's such it's such a weird time, you know, because it's like there's there's a lot of like honor with these guys, and mm-hmm. yet at the same time, like, hello, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're owning a human being. This is not good. You specifically speak out against slavery, but meanwhile, you're still. I don't know. I have a question for you. Okay. Are you for or against financial crises? <laughs> well, 
normally I am against, but mm-hmm. I have to say that uh, I was rooting for one while I was watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were expecting as an answer? What was the? <laughs> I just thought you would be for them. Why? Um, I don't know. You're pretty evil. I thought you would enjoy the chaos and the destruction. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> no, I do. I do. It's just... No, you're actually right that it's actually kind of funny that in this movie... Um, you know, you're through these, an economic collapse. Yeah, you're following these people who are all, you know, well, want, well, essentially want the housing bubble to burst. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that they want it. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, we can get into this. So, actually, we should say, for our listeners who have not heard any of the action movie episodes, um, I just want to give an agenda, a basic rundown of what to expect in these episodes. So, in every episode, we give a brief summary of the movie um, that we're going to be ranking, as as well as where the current rank stands, which, uh, in this case, will be nothing, because <laughs> this is the first one. Um even then if we'll this, go into the, zeros across the board, it'll be number one. Right, exactly. Um, then we'll go into the potent notables. And the potent notables are what we believe to be interesting or notable things that surround the movie, right? Um, it could be an historical fact that the movie got right or wrong, or an interesting tidbit from production, or even its box office data. Actually, I say even. I will start every potent notable with the box office data. Um and then uh, we'll go into the to an overview of the movie itself, which is a rundown of the, like the whole plot and everything. So there will be spoilers. Goes from beginning to end. <laughs> the whole movie. Um, and then from there we go right into the rank. Now what's neat about this that this is uh, we haven't done any of these yet. This is we're going to find the best best picture. So we're going to go through each year and rank every nominee from that year. Um, the year will be at random, but right now we're starting with 2015, which is why we're on the big short, and then we're going to go in alphabetical order. So next week will be Bridge of Spies. But, um, yeah. Now, the the plan here is that we will also rank the current year's Oscar nominees for Best Picture. So as soon as they get announced, we will rank every one of those before the Academy Award uh, telecast. Mm-hmm. So you'll go into that telecast knowing what the best movie is, mm. no matter what gets picked, because the rank is the correct source for this hey, information. You're, you're just going to end up turning <laughs> off the broadcast. Like, I already know. I, I don't care what they say. Yeah, they're going to get through, you know, what, best actor or actress, um, mm-hmm. whatever the one is before best picture, and they'd be like, click, I already know. Yeah, doesn't matter. It is irrelevant what the Academy thinks. <laughs> John and Zach say. Yeah, that's what you'll be like, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's dive in here. So the today we're ranking The Big Short, the 2015 film starring Christian Bale, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, and Brad Pitt. It was written by Charles Randolph and Adam McKay, who also directed the movie, and it was adapted from the book by Michael Lewis. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, Best Actor for Christian Bale, Best Director, Best Film Editing, Best Adapted Screenplay, for which it won, and Best Picture, which is why it's on this, you know, why we're ranking it. 
Yeah, a lot of the Best Picture nominees um, from 2015 are both the Best Picture nominees and from 2015. So <laughs> weird. I think um, most of them, in fact. I yeah, if not all, which is kind of crazy <laughs> to have to say all. Um, <laughs> the Big Short is a 2015 biographical comedy drama directed by Adam McKay. The film is based on the real life events leading up to the 2008 financial crisis and follows a group of outsiders in the financial world who saw the impending collapse of the housing market and decided to bet against it. I wish they had told me. I know, right? Not that it matters. <laughs> yeah, what would we have done with the information, I suppose? <laughs> but um, I, I was pretty poor at the time. Not that mm -hmm. I'm that much better off now. So the big short uses a combination of humor, fourth wall breaking, and educational segments to explain complex financial concepts and highlight the greed and corruption that led to the crisis. So, since we're starting with the Oscars of 2015, the Big Short, like I said, was going to be the is going to be the first one that we're ranking because of uh, alphabetical order. I'm Zach. What do you think the odds are that we found the best best picture of all time in the first movie we rank? Um, ninety four percent, I think. <laughs> I think it's I think it's probably slimmer than oh. that. I think it's worse odds. 93? <laughs> I say this because if you remember we did aliens for our yeah. first action movie and then we we got to the point where we're like is is anything going to surpass it? Mm -hmm. Like not, spoiler alert for our episodes, I guess. <laughs> if you haven't watched the action movie or watched if you haven't listened to the action <laughs> movie episodes now you know Alien stays on top for a while. We'll see if the same is the, can be said for the Big Short, which I think is probably better than like Citizen Kane and stuff, right? I mean, most likely. Actually, I imagine a lot of people don't really care so much for Citizen Kane and everything else if for no reason other than being talked, talked at about it for quite a while, and then it's not necessarily well, a crowd pleasing kind of movie. It'll be if it'll be fun when we do what's that? Nineteen forty-one, I think. Yeah, it's uh, somewhere in there. Yeah, it'll be fun when we do that one and see uh, see where that ranks all time against all the other ones. But at the very least, we can uh, determine which the best one of 2015 really was. Like, mm -hmm. we'll see if the one that won, which was Spotlight, was really the best. Uh, we'll find out. Now, if I recall correctly, my wife, Sarah, this was her pick for best picture. This mm. year, so we should, we should get her on the horn. Yeah. Sarah, what was the why'd you like it? And she'll be like, I'm sleeping. Yeah. She'll be less than thrilled for me to uh <laughs> Oh shit, let me hang up the bone way quick. Hey. <laughs> Hopefully that didn't go through. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, so let's go on to our potent notables. Potent notables. So for those of you who haven't listened to our action movie rankings yet, we always start out the potent notables with a breakdown of how the film did at the box office. The Big Short did very well. Mm. No doubt helped by its nomination for Best Picture. But uh, against a budget of $28 million, it made $70.3 million domestically and $63.2 million internationally for a worldwide total of $133.4 million. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, especially considering it was a you know, relatively low-budget film. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of star power for that budget. Yeah, the, this, it's a lot of actors in it, and a lot of them are pretty well-known actors. So, you know, it's, 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 
it's interesting because it makes me think of Babylon mm -hmm. just recently came out. Yeah. I didn't see Babylon, but I know it tanked pretty hardcore. Oh, yeah. and Amsterdam too did, right? Yeah. Like two movies that had a lot of names in it, and then people were just like, man, I'm not interested. I kind of wanted to see both, but I didn't go see both either, so I guess I'm part of the problem. <laughs> well, Amsterdam got really bad reviews. I don't think Babylon got as bad of reviews, but they certainly weren't good. The reviews I saw for Babylon were very like some were some some were really good and some were very not good. So I don't know. Uh, the ones the reviews I saw for Amsterdam were all pretty, all pretty, pretty horrific. Yeah. yeah, I. Uh, it always makes me sad because like I feel like when you have a lot of star power here and there's a lot of like there's a lot of charisma and charm when you have that. Mm -hmm. So it always makes me feel like ah, really we we didn't it didn't do better than that. Anyway, uh, gonna say? I'm sorry. It's funny you mentioned Amsterdam because both Christian Bale and Margot Robbie are in that. Actually, Margot Robbie's in Babylon too. Babylon, I know. It's it, this actually really. They're saying it might have really hurt her career. Oh, Margot! Uh, two big flops in a in one year. What are you doing, Margot? Margot Robbie, Robbie. But Margo. I think she's gonna be okay because she's got Barbie coming out. So, so let me just tell you when you Google uh, Amsterdam, um, it gives you the cast list. And it's a whole bunch of actors. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah, even there's tons. tons of actors, but you get down to the second row here. So we're in the second row here. And it's, you know, Mike Myers, Robert De Niro. Uh, I don't know who Matthias Schoenarts is. Timothy Oliphant. You might know him from stuff. Benito Mussolini. You, I mean, what? Benito Mussolini? Wait, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is he, that real? Yeah, he's listed right before Ed Begley Jr. So. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess this actor's taking that name back. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's actually it's a picture of Benito Mussolini. It's not it's not it's not <laughs> someone named Benito Mussolini, and it's just like, well, that was bold of him to keep that name. No, it's uh, it's when you click on him, it it, it brings you to Benito Mussolini, Prime Minister of Italy, uh, in office thirty one October twenty nine twenty two to twenty fifth July nineteen forty three, at which point he was strung up naked and and I don't know castrated or something. I can't remember. Wow. Um, Speaking of castration, though, let's get back to the movie. I've always thought, like, it'd be fun to name your kid, like, you know, first name Benito, yeah. middle name Hitler, or, like, <laughs> first name Adolf, middle name Mussolini. Yeah. No, that would not be fun, is the thing. And you know how yeah. I can tell it would not be fun? You uh, have, what, four children, and you haven't named any of them that. So. <laughs> well, anyway, Christian Bale met with the real Michael Burry for obvious, you know, for obvious reasons, and even asked to have Burry's cargo shorts and t-shirt, which he wore in the movie. I have your clothes. <laughs> Let me have your shorts. <laughs> but Bale also said that he wanted Burry to make it to the premiere, uh, quote, because I really wanted to sit next to him and see if he's going to punch me in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> which he did. Paramount Pictures allowed Adam McKay to make this film only if he agreed to make a sequel to Anchorman. <laughs> That's how we ended which, up in the sequel to Anchorman. Which, hey, I'm happy about. I know, I, for some reason, people didn't like Anchorman 2 that much, but I thought it was fantastic. I remember it being kind of cute. I don't really know much else about it. But I'm a fan of non-sequitur humor, so... Mm -hmm. That's true. You are. Um, I actually attribute that to you, just so you know. <laughs> I blame my. I was in my fault. I was gonna. I was gonna agree, and then I'm like, wait a second. This is well. Weird. It's not that it's your fault. I'm just saying you introduced me to it, and your love oh, of non sequitur humor when we were young was like, oh, oh, okay, this is funny. I need to be more cultured and realize this is funny. 
need to be more cultured. As Anchorman Two, high culture. <laughs> now the that's that little tidbit there. That's according to Michael Lewis. So okay, you know, um, I, I don't know. I couldn't find anything where Adam McKay actually said that that was true, but. But Adam, Lewis, who's not involved directly in the situation, but <laughs> well, I, so it's, <laughs> it's like Cracker Jack reporting by Michael Lewis. <laughs> well, so speaking of Adam McKay, the quote in the movie, truth is like poetry and most people fucking hate poetry overheard at a Washington DC bar, mm -hmm. which is fantastic was written by Adam McKay because he couldn't find the perfect quotation to use for that segment. <laughs> so he just made one up <laughs> and, made, and made up a fake attribution too. Yeah. Well, I think, I think he actually went to a Washington DC bar and said it so that mm. he could say, <laughs> someone must have overheard that. It's yeah. true. <laughs> I heard myself say it. So <laughs> it's true either way. You're a tricky yeah. bastard, Adam McKay. You know that? <laughs> now, according to Adam McKay, he wrote the character Jared Bennett for Ryan Gosling, mm -hmm. which, you know, makes sense yeah. for, for how it went. Um, Christian Bale badly injured his knee just before filming started. Adam McKay wanted to use a double for Bale's drumming and swimming scenes, but, of course, mm. Christian Bale insisted on doing the scenes himself. How much weight did he gain or lose in order to do the drumming? Well... I don't know, but I never want to see that. Have you seen The Machinist? I have not. I've seen pictures from it, and I don't want to see those again. It's, I can't. It's I. I can't handle it. It's just disgusting. Um, but anyway, McKay eventually agreed. But when he shot the drumming scenes, he brought in two doctors for the duration of the shoot. <laughs> so monitor the drumming and also rock out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they rocked out with their yeah wieners. Um, <laughs> with their wieners firmly in their own pants because it would yeah. be inappropriate otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Doctors shouldn't be doing that. Um, <laughs> Unlike everyone else. <laughs> well, we hold them to a higher standard. Of course we do. Um, McKay encouraged this cast to improvise where possible, which is a staple of mm -hmm. McKay's directing style. But this was his first dramatic movie he had ever directed. So I just thought that, thought that was interesting that even though he knew it was going to be, you know, a dramatic movie, he still was like, yeah, improvise. Mm -hmm. To go back to the Christian Bale drumming thing, he actually mm -hmm. took two weeks to learn to play the drums well enough that he could he could play the intro to the song By Demons Be Driven by Pantera. <laughs> Pantera. Metalhead, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me well, too. That that's Michael Burry apparently, which you wouldn't think that that guy would be a metalhead. Yeah, it's it's an odd little character trait, and like blasting metal, uh, you know, audibly, not even in headphones. How do these guys have hearing left? You know what I mean? Like, I do know what you mean, and I don't understand it. Like, you think they'd all be just deaf by now, like immediately? But no, you get these old fucking metalheads. Like, and by old, I mean thirty. Because why are you? I'm, I'm not going to be mean to metal. I don't need metalheads coming to get me. Um, <laughs> chasing me. Well, through the I'll be mean to metal because I do not understand that uh, the appeal of that. Me neither. Style so. of music. Everybody's entitled to like whatever they want to like. I just don't understand the appeal to it. Mm -hmm. You ever have, has your phone ever been like alarmist at you? <laughs> alarmist. <laughs> um, and like, you just try to like listen to like 
a pop song too loud and it's like this can damage your hearing having it this high and it's like how do like you know like if i can't listen to pop music too loud how on earth do these metal guys listen to thy demons be damned or whatever that was by pentera it's it's funny that you'd say that because i'm such like I guess a square. <laughs> hey man. Ever, I didn't even know that was a thing that could happen. Oh. <laughs> I always listen to my music at a reasonable level. <laughs> I was listening to my music at a reasonable volume. and uh... <laughs> So Charles Randolph wrote the original screenplay for this movie, but Adam McKay ended up rewriting it two years later, and that, that's actually when Paramount gave it the green light. Mm-hmm. I'm just picturing that Charles, like, Charles Randolph had like like a fully formed script mm-hmm. and Adam McKay just gutted it and put a whole bunch of dialogue in. <laughs> he just crossed most of it out and went uh, um, and wrote uh, improvise. Yeah. <laughs> improvise. In- insert improv here. <laughs> improv to be decided. Dialogue later. <laughs> and Charles Randolph is like, oh. I guess as long as he's credited, it doesn't matter. But... Well, the irony, or not the irony, the the funny part of what uh, you just said, like the idea that him just crossing everything out and putting improvise here Mm -hmm. to be improvised later or whatever, Mm -hmm. but that's when Paramount was like, oh, I like this. (laughs) Oh, this is some good, this is a good script. This went from 120 pages to eight. I love it. (laughs) Well, I can imagine um, the... uh... What do you call them? The ex- whoever it is that fucking reads these scripts, being like, "Ooh, this is much shorter." I'm actually gonna <laughs> take a look at this. I'm not gonna read that other thing. That other thing I just said I did. I just turned it down because I didn't want to deal with it. Somebody give me the cliff notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Adam McKay was like, "Here they are." <laughs> <laughs> the cliff notes are improv. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I like improv. That's fine. I see <laughs> down at the uh, comedy shop. <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, so it's they make that... me pick a topic. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, during, during the end of the Las Vegas trip, the transition scene ends overlooking a highway with a giant billboard of Martin Short. Mm-hmm. Right, which is fun because it's literally a big short. It's a big short. <laughs> <laughs> well done. That was also improv. Very nice. <laughs> So let's do some uh, where are they now stuff. Because mm-hmm. I know they did this at the, at the end of the movie, but it's been eight years since then. So Michael Burry is actually still the CEO of Cyan Asset Management, which I find strange because it seemed like at the end of the movie that he dissolved it. So Exactly. That's, I, sure I didn't know there. that he was at, you know, turns the lights out and leaves. He's like, but whatever. Yeah, he's like, we made almost $3 billion. Off of everybody's uh, misery. <laughs> yeah. And yet still we're like, go, Michael. <laughs> um, <laughs> well done, Michael Burry. <laughs> he, he was the it. only <laughs> he was the only person from Michael Lewis's book who allowed their real name to be used in the movie. Mm-hmm. The the quote at the end, by the way, Michael Burry is focusing all of his trading on one commodity, water, is mm-hmm. not as foreboding as it sounds. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna quote Michael Burry here. Mm-hmm. Food is the way to invest in water. That is, grow food in water-rich areas and transport it for sale in water-poor areas. This is the method for redistributing water that is least contentious and ultimately can be profitable, 
which will ensure that redistribution is sustainable. A bottle of wine takes over 400 bottles of water to produce. The water embedded in food is what I found interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And sort of, sort of makes you think somewhat, you know? It does. It also, I feel like that quote shows what a good job uh, Christian Bale did in, in portraying him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's it, it takes a sort of a, 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 a skew, I don't want to say skewed, but like a an odd way of looking at the world to really get, you know, sort of see the things that nobody else is seeing. Right. And, you know, I don't want to say like it's odd. Oh, what a weird way to look at the world. It's just, you know, a unique new perspective on things and because you catch things that other people like overlook or whatever. Yeah, I know it's it it it's it's a it's the people that you would look at and think that's a weird dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now Steve Eisman, which is the real name for the character Mark Baum, Iceman. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if I'm saying that name right, so <laughs> I apologize, Steve, if I got that wrong. Um, like name. Well, Mark Baum is easier to pronounce. It is <laughs> also. I saw that in the movie, so, and they said it a bunch. Yeah. So you should have just let them use your name, and I would know how to pronounce it. You know, it's it's odd that they didn't let anybody because they think people are going to be searching them. Like I know it's it's weird to me. Like, and maybe everybody they just felt guilty that they profited off it. I guess so, but like you'd think that everyone who matters already knows who they are, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the book they wrote a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your real names are in the book, I think. Um, anyway, he's the managing director of the Iceman Group, and he doesn't uh-huh. have as grim an outlook on our financial institutions as is portrayed in the film. Quote, if you read the newspapers, sometimes it feels like it could happen again. And from where I sit, that's just not true. The regulators learned the hard way. They were wrong, and they've done a lot to correct a lot of the problems. The banking system probably hasn't been this safe in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. End quote. Also, I thought this was kind of funny. He he was not happy with his portrayal. So another <laughs> quote of his, eliminate my sense of humor and make me angry all the time. And that's the portrayal. <laughs> Which, you know, it's not wrong, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what his sense of humor is, though. So maybe. I don't know. I thought his being angry was kind of a kind of funny. So <laughs> <laughs> um, Greg Lippman, which is the real name of Jared Vennett, mm-hmm. which, by the way, the character that you know Greg Lipman is, mm. I guess, the name Jared feels much better. It does than Greg for whatever reason that fits him. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's actually even the last name is what really makes it Jared Vennett and Greg Lipman. Greg Lipman does not sound like a guy to me who's like it just it's some guy character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he is the chief investment officer of Lieber Max Capital. Lieber which Max. is a head, yeah, which is a hedge fund that he founded, and it has reportedly been profitable since its inception. But uh, there's no news on his thoughts on Gosling's performance. So, <laughs> should have done some investigative reporting, Michael Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> Cracker Jack reporting, as you put it. Yeah. Uh, and the last one, Ben Hackett, is the he's which is the real name of Ben Rickett, which mm. like. It's funny because everybody else, the other two were just way different. I know. This one, they just barely changed it. I know. So it's, it, it, you know, mnemonically sounds the same. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but played by Brad Pitt, remains steadfastly off the grid. <laughs> According to Brad Pitt, Hackett, quote, has a home you can't access by car in case of Armageddon. <laughs> in case of Armageddon, like brick glass, you know? <laughs> yeah. The best part about Hackett's real-life role is actually the Powder Monkey Pub, where he closed his final multi-million dollar trade. Uh-huh. Um, the pub staff had no idea about their crucial part in the uh, in the tale until after the movie. And I got a quote from one of the workers. It is quite a shock to hear about our part in the story, to be honest. But it is very exciting. <laughs> so, anyway, those are all the potent notables for the big short. Those were potent. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> so let's dive into the uh, into the movie overview, uh-huh. and we start off with an excellent Mark Twain quote. Uh-huh. I'm glad um, you agree. <laughs> it is an excellent Mark Twain quote. I uh, can't remember what it is now, though. Oh, the what you don't know, what you think you know, that just ain't so. Oh yeah, that's right. I actually didn't remember it either because I didn't write it down. <laughs> no, it's uh, you know Mark Twain. He's uh. He's got a lot of great quotes, that Mark Twain. An American, great American thinker. They named an award after him. Uh, Yeah, for humor. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So (laughs) we have a lot to say about Mark Twain. (laughs) That's what I like about it. Um, I enjoy, I I was really enjoying the way they were doing the exposition. Um, You know, in the very beginning with like Louis Renier or whatever his name Mm -hmm. was. It just it felt very satirical and silly, but still, but it was like still getting the point across. Mm-hmm. You know, like the guy that's like, you know, I'm gonna give you twenty million dollars, ha ha ha. And then the guy goes, "Come on, we'll live a little." And he's like, "All right, twenty five. <laughs> it was kind of sick, Tommy, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then they, you know, they move from that to modern day, and the mm-hmm. passage of time montage is just like, it's like almost perfect, right? Yeah, that that the various things changing, buildings being built, etc., and and the rise of you know the banking sector, right, oh, financial yes. sector, yeah. um, and how we, you know, got real concerned with getting rich, and uh, nobody was really paying much attention mm-hmm. that our that our culture was looking away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Ryan Gosling's talking about how, like, you know, bankers are supposed to be boring. And, you know, nobody wanted that job. It was mm-hmm. just like a boring thing. I just, I just like that he's like, not me, though. I'm pretty <laughs> fucking cool. <laughs> and then they sort of establish Michael Burry's underlying sadness, if you will. Yeah. Um, his inability to, you know, to really connect with people with that really sad vignette of when he was a kid and he's playing football and his eye, his glass eye pops out. and. He's like, I'm done. I want to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It made me sad to, to like make this point, which I thought was a, a kind of excellent. They're talking about how he's like, or Christian Bale saying how he's like, you know, even when I try to compliment people, it doesn't ever come out right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. they cut to him talking to who I think is a new hire, I guess. Yeah. You have a very nice haircut. Did you do it <laughs> yourself? <laughs> which was excellently delivered by Bale, by the way. For real. <laughs> that one I have a little bit of trouble not you know I hope he knew shortly after that came out of his mouth that was kind of a weird backhanded you know kind of thing I don't think he meant it as backhanded either well I'm sure know? he didn't mean to but like <laughs> hopefully he realized oh wait, that didn't that didn't quite work 
Yeah. Um, I think you can kind of tell that that is exactly what happened. You know, like his reaction is kind of like, oh, shit. Well, mm -hmm. all right, let's move on. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> then now we get to meet Mark Baum, who also has a, kind of a sad backstory, but mm. uh, we don't see the backstory right away. <laughs> we just see him steamrolling into a <laughs> into a grief counseling meeting or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And he, just starts taking over. Um, Steve Carell is really good in this scene, actually. And then we, um, you know, we move on to Margot Robbie in a bubble bath. <laughs> to explain, I don't even remember what she explained anymore. <laughs> what was she explaining? Not a bad thing to move on to, regardless. It doesn't really. You know, that's what I kind of wonder if it wasn't, like, actually. Uh, Not the best actually, way to do it. They defeated the point because you were distracted at that point. But um, what was she just uh, that? The what was she explaining? I honestly can't remember now. Either. I don't remember. I remember she was drinking real Dom Perignon because she she said that and mm -hmm. uh, and you know that she told me to fuck off at the end, which I thought was hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> let her continue her bubble bath and please peace, please. Yeah, I really didn't want the camera to leave. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to remember what she was explaining. Was it? Because I, I, you know, the movie ended and I already had forgotten a lot of the financial stuff because I'm an idiot. <laughs> what was she explaining? I don't know. Anyway, it was fun. And then they, so then they do another cut to uh, Mark Baum's childhood and mm -hmm. to to further show, you know, what what he's all about, right? Which, you know, economy and and uh, storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. They, they do a good job of that, where they're giving you the information uh, without having to do a bunch of exposition for it. And it's kind of mm. perfect, right? Because they're saying, this guy looks into things. Yeah. And so they're, he's, he's a kid, and he's at what? I don't know, Hebrew school? I don't know exactly what it is, but mm -hmm. he's studying the Torah, and... Uh, <laughs> The the rabbi goes up to his mom and is like, this, you know, there's a problem. He's really <laughs> good at the Torah because he's always trying to find holes in it or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Inconsistencies. And I love that the mom's response was, so has he found any? <laughs> it, 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 it shows um, that nothing is too sacred for him, literally, you know? Like, right. <laughs> everything, everything is okay to question. <laughs> I think it's a good way to... Well, anyway, I... It was a good way to show what he was about. Mm -hmm. um, and then they get further on to the backstory where you see that his brother has committed suicide, which is which is very sad. Much sadder. Yeah, much more sad than him just investigating the Torah. Mm -hmm. um, it is, an, you know, and I was struck by the mixture of movie and documentary that this movie was doing. It was, mm -hmm. it was really kind of a fascinating way they did it because it wasn't mockumentary. You know, even mm -hmm. though there was comedy elements, um, I don't know. It was it was good, very much so. So Michael Burry decides he's gonna, you know, he's he's read this information and he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna short the housing market, and everybody's calling him crazy, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like, there's no such thing. Like this doesn't exist. There's no way to even do this. So he goes to these banks. And he spends $1.3 billion after they make him these, um, whatever they call them. I don't even remember yeah. what they call them. Um, and 
and uh, like the conceit to me is crazy that they they didn't even question what they thought was a ridiculous purchase purchase for such a large sum. Yeah. Like, how does he have one point three billion dollars to spend if he's just making bad bets? That's that's actually a really good question. Like somebody just like he like he lucked into it or found it on the street or something and walked right. into a bank and decided to buy something highly specific. Yeah, it's just crazy. And they're like, yeah, sure, I'll take your money. And, uh, and you didn't like even I think like maybe we should look at this. And I don't know if it was at this point or later when um, Steve Carell is trying to buy a lot of these things, and they're like, "We'll take your money." Um, but it's and I get like, "We'll take your money," but like, you're anyone who's like remotely curious would be like, "Wait a second, why is this?" You know, like yeah. And you'd look into it and be like, "Maybe he does know something I don't, or maybe he he really is just an idiot." I don't know, but they would like look into it instead of just being like, <laughs> "Thank you." <laughs> yeah, it just really. And maybe they did in real life look into it, yeah, but it, yeah. it definitely like shows you the greed involved in this, you know, just like, yeah, give me the money. I'll take the money. Um, I did find it sort of fascinating that at this point in the movie, I'm already rooting for the failure of the economy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't take long to get to the, you know, the bottom of these guys. And then, so now we're going to go back to Jared Bennett, right? Mm -hmm. And the, I think this might have been the first, like, fourth wall break that we had. I mean, I know there was some during narration, but at, at this point, there's, like, background. It's, like, voiceover narration. But mm -hmm. they said he's saying they say something about how Jared, um, Jared doesn't talk about this. And mm -hmm. then Ryan Gosling looks at the camera. I don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so now we're we're in Mark Baum's office, right? And they're a bunch of they're a lot like him in his uh, his that he likes to look into things, right? Mm -hmm. So he's he's hired people that feel similar similarly to him. <laughs> There's this part where the one character is like, "What's an ABX?" Mm -hmm. and, and the first line that the other one says almost immediately is like, "Go back to sleep." <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten about that part. But that's that's me trying to chime in on anything. And everybody's like, yeah, you're not. Yeah. Stop trying. <laughs> okay. So I also I loved that they did this throughout the movie, that they were like telling you when things were real and when things weren't, you know? Like when things were just added for the sake of it being in a movie as opposed to like this is actually how it happened, mm -hmm. but the fact that they found out about the biggest trade in history from a wrong number. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's the point where they even say like this like this is actually how this happened, right? That's yeah. one of those points. Yeah, this is they're like because George because Ryan Gosling's character is narrating and he's like this mm -hmm. is real. This is actually how they they found out about it. it was you know, and he's like, I really should have fired my assistant or whatever he said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so they ended up taking a meeting with this, uh, with this, with Ryan Gosling's character here. And Ryan Gosling is busy telling them like, look, look at my numbers guy. Look at this. Yeah. Look at this. Eye. And I love that just kind of in the background is like a throwaway Steve Carell, Mark, Mark Baum's character is like, or Steve Carell's character, Mark Baum is like, that's racist. It's <laughs> kind of racist, right? Yeah, that's racist. Um, but I, I loved the, I mean, you know, he's selling here. And I know it's a, it's like a, it's a sales line, but it was so good. 
I'm standing in front of a burning house and I'm offering you fire insurance. Yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> it, it's the sort of line that like I feel like that it feels like it has to be made up after the fact because it's too good, but right. And it might have been, you know, I but learning about this is like so angry. Like I'm getting I I, I was getting angry watching it. Like, God, these fuckers, you know? Mm -hmm. And not Mark bombing them, but just like the idea that these people were so um, hairless with exactly. people's lives. And we'll get we'll get in a little bit just to, you know how this affects the ordinary person, right? Yeah, because of Mark Baum's yeah. investigation. Yeah, but otherwise um, these people are just off. Oh well. Well, I like that. I also liked that um, you know they're like talking to each other and. And they're like, isn't this the person that this isn't this the type of person that we don't want to be in business with? Yeah. And Steve Carell, he's 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 so transparent in his self-interest, I I kind of respect him for it. <laughs> yeah. So again, another great line. No, it's it's it it, it also it, I like that part because it shows his nose for bullshit as well. Like right. Because they're like, for instance, um Michael Lewis wrote you know, Moneyball and Bill James um, featured in that a lot. And when you read Bill James, sometimes he like, he's too skeptical about everything. Right. And like, it's good to be skeptical about everything, but it gets to a point where it's just like, you can't just assume everything is wrong because it's because like, you can't just assume everything is wrong in life. Right. You know what I mean? Like there is a sort of, it's helpful to have a finely tuned sense of like, that actually does sound legit and I'll still check up on it. But like, you do have to assume some things might actually be what they seem to be to begin with. And I, I think that that is a very useful skill to have to not only be able to, to sniff out bullshit, but to be able to, um, to be able to intuit when things actually are perhaps legitimate. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is exactly what he's doing. And just, and they, they show that just on that simple line, you know, it's mm -hmm. just like, He's transparent in his self-interest, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, the idea here is, like, he really does think this is going to get him rich. Mm -hmm. So, it's something we should look into. Yeah, that's um, what the bankers missed about Burry when he was going around buying all that stuff. Right, exactly. Why is He picked guy... up on it right away. He's like, I'm going to mm -hmm. look into this. Yeah. Which is what everybody should have been doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I love the way this movie explained things, because now we've got the... Uh, the youngins, right? And they're trying to get their ISDA agreement. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just, it says, it just has the, you know, it writes it on the screen and it says that high level trades aren't available to stupid amateurs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how trying to be a high stakes trader with that on ISDA is like trying to win the Indy 500 riding a llama. <laughs> Now, I don't know if that's just Adam McKay's writing. I feel yeah. like it probably is, but that's good stuff. And in this part is actually where they tell us when they actually dramatize something for the movie, right? Because yeah. they, they find the um, the prospectus in the bank, right? But in reality, they just like heard it through the grapevine. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. When they actually turn, this is another fourth wall break, and they turn and say, you know, this is actually dramatized because um, it is more. Like you mentioned, uh, God, it was an efficiency. What did you say in storytelling? Um, economy. Economy and storytelling, where this 
is a much better scene and saves time than just the silly i heard about it from some dude and you were talking you know you know right exactly this exactly. adds both dramatic stakes and um or not dramatic stakes exactly but is more dramatically appealing so we move on from here we're gonna see mark bomb's team do some investigating right mm -hmm. and <laughs> this there's a line that they're walking through the airport and um you know, the one guy's clearly like not happy to be in Florida. <laughs> like, I'm hot, it sucks, blah blah blah, whatever he's complaining yeah. about. And then the other guy is just like, Yeah, I heard they have good Cuban food here. And, <laughs> and then he immediately just like, please don't be chipper in the face of me being miserable. It really <laughs> makes me hate you. And I, I it made me laugh out loud, but also I was like, I feel like people have definitely thought this about me. Almost certainly. <laughs> You can be uh, just it, like like you're you you have a baseline that is much I guess more chipper in general than everybody else's baseline in the world. So even when you're not in a good mood, you're still kind of like, at the very least you're excited for Cuban food if nothing else. <laughs> well, it just it sort of makes me think about that time when you were uh, <laughs> we were roommates, and mm -hmm. you know I don't remember what happened exactly. And you weren't like mad at me, you know, you were just like, you know, John, it's just, you're just John all the time, <laughs> six in the morning, you can wake up and you're just, you're John. And then, <laughs> you know, 11 o'clock at night, you're still John. You just never stop being John. Yeah. You could take a break sometimes, you know, <laughs> but no. you know, to your point, what you're saying is that you're like fucking tired and not. <laughs> I wake yeah. up and I'm like, let's have a conversation. And you're like, I need like two hours before I can even talk to somebody. Pretty much. I'm not whatever it is I usually am. I'm not it for, you know, at least five, six hours of the day. Well, then I'm awake. And it's funny, too, because I'm not exactly an extrovert. Like, I'm not yeah. like that with people I don't know. But the people that I do know, I'm like, hey, it's a new day. <laughs> We're still alive. Isn't it great? And everybody's like, I don't know yet. <laughs> it is yet to be determined if that is great and it's not looking good so far because <laughs> you've just berated me so yep <laughs> started started low mm. um but anyway so now <laughs> from that we go to a heartbreaking moment mm. which is uh you know they go to the house and they ask to talk to the owner who is apparently the landlord's dog mm -hmm. and the guy's like i've been paying rent like, you know, yeah, what's going on? Am I gonna like lose my place? To it's not, it's so heartbreaking because he's just, he's paying rent to the void, you know. Yeah, yeah it's just the his money is just disappearing essentially. And it it like it's gonna come back around to this later, but it just goes to show that once again everything hits the poor in this country harder. Mm -hmm. Because what power does he does this person have at this point? Yeah, you know? none. It's it's messed up. And then all of a sudden we have a jump scare, which <laughs> felt kind of out of place, and it definitely got me. <laughs> I was not expecting it at all. The alligator jumps out of the pool there. Um, That's Florida for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I do like that they're like, okay, it's time to fucking go. <laughs> That's. A as soon as you're attacked by an alligator, it is time to get the hell out of there. <laughs> um, actually, just getting out of Florida is always a good idea. So, 
right after this is when we i'm curious what your thoughts are here how about uh the two guys we meet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right after this um what are those your thoughts two on them? biggest douchebags on earth is that who that those were because <laughs> yeah. i uh, don't know that i care for those guys at all as a matter of fact <laughs> bitch better be. like me i sent her to cabo <laughs> <laughs> It's like one line, and you already know you're gonna hate them. Oh, these guys and whoever the actors are, they uh, inhabited the douchebaggery pretty effectively because just their existence made me angry. It's funny to me because the the one guy is Schmidt from mm-hmm. New Girl. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh Schmidt, and then I was like, oh it's oh <laughs> he's a dickhead. Yeah, but he's kind of a dickhead in the show too. Oh, so perfect. But like in a more endearing way, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I and I also enjoy that they 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 sort of show Mark Baum's character even more because they do that aside, and uh, he says to them, "Is like why are why are they confessing?" You know. Yeah. And they're like, they're not confessing. They're bragging. Yeah. Another another line that I don't know if he said it in real life, but it's a good line. So. Yeah, it's a really good line, and I I just enjoy that it shows like. He has a moral compass, you yeah. know. Um, he's like he just can't imagine that somebody would be okay with what they're okay with. Yeah. Um, I mean, it actually got to the point where they were kind of hilariously ridiculous, you know. Those two, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the one guy targets immigrants, you know. Yeah, and then the other guy specifically targets immigrants. Yeah, yeah, and then the other guy targets strippers. (laughs) Well, who doesn't target strippers? Um, where are the strippers at? But I love. I want to economically exploit them. I don't want (laughs) to. But I love that. That's that's how Mark Baum gets sold on the housing market bubble. Mm Exactly, he's talking to the stripper who owns five houses and a condo. He's trying to uh, like you know, do some actual uh, interviewing. She's all she's all stripping. She's like, can you he's like, can you just can you please stop moving? Yeah. <laughs> and then he he's gonna call up uh Venet, right? And mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed the way Ryan Gosling answered the phone. Is this America's angriest hedge fund? <laughs> you see, that's the I I do you you don't happen to know how how many of these things were improvised because I don't. I wish I, I should. I, I should look into it further. I, I don't know if there's anything out there that says it. You know. Yeah. Because a lot. I mean, I assume that a lot of these really like important lines, like the uh, they're not bragging, they're confess or whatever. They're not whatever. Yeah. They're, confe- uh, they're, they're not, not confessing. confessing they're bragging. bragging. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That was probably you know, not. But I could actually almost see something like that line from uh, Ryan Gosling there being either improvised or thought of, you know, at some point later in, in it and going, that is actually a fun line. Let's say that. I can see that too. And I, I've, from what I've heard and or heard read, I guess it's not like I'm not like I'm in Hollywood knowing all these people. <laughs> um, but I, I've read that Ryan Gosling is actually like super funny and good uh-huh. at ad living. So now we're going to meet uh, Ben Hackett. Mm-hmm. And you know this is who the the young guys were like trying to work up the courage to call because mm-hmm. he's a kind of a recluse. But 
and his ridiculous not not talking on you know nine of his thirteen phones. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but it's played by Brad Pitt, and it was kind of wild. He's coming through the airport, and uh, he's wearing a mask. Yeah, <laughs> this it hits differently in twenty fifteen or whatever than it does in twenty twenty three. Yeah, exactly. Because like I'm, you know. Back then, I mean, it's a it's a good visual to show, mm -hmm. like this guy's, you know, he's a little bit wild, a little mm -hmm. on the wild side here, right? But like now, I watch and I go, yeah, okay, yeah, that's normal. You know? Yep, <laughs> that's just a that's just crazy to me. <laughs> and you know, the so they're gonna meet up, and then uh, and now you know we've we've moved further along in the timeline here, mm -hmm. and um, <laughs> they're. They're trying to convince Mark Baum to to sell his uh, his stake in this mm -hmm. in this short of the um, housing market, mm -hmm. and he's on the phone and he's like he's like politely tell them to fuck off. <laughs> and I love that the guy just walks in and goes, "Mark says fuck off." <laughs> it's uh, it's so amazing bad. to me that there are so many people. I don't know do. Do these financial people have a tendency to not want to take risk particularly and like want to stick with with what they know because it's amazing to me how many of these tertiary characters are like there's no way i'm doing that sell that you know i don't want to be part of this you know like the guy who screams it at mark burry to give him back his money and everything or not screams well the one guy's screaming the other guy's just indignant and it's like You'd, I don't know. I feel like you'd have to take risk in order to to make it in the stock market. But these guys are all so like unimaginable. Risk averse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, How'd they make the. I, I, I don't know. I'm not. I guess there's a balance because the young guys whose names I'm not sure I ever learned their names in the movie. I just sort of skipped over it. Um, they. It, it sort of explains that they make their bones a little bit with high reward, low risk, you know, trading, but. At the same time, like you have to be imaginative in some way. Like, I don't know. I guess well, it just, I guess it just goes to show that these were really some of the few people who sort of understood what was happening. Well, right, and I mean, it was always considered a very stable part of the economy, mm -hmm. right? So betting against it was like, why would you? Why would you yeah. do that? On top of that, he was. They were paying premiums like they were paying fees every month yeah oh yeah yeah so i think that was part of the issue is that especially with michael burry because he was depleting his own fund to pay right. for these um but so so speaking of what you just mentioned i mean so then the guy they're like yelling at him right and the guy's like yeah. you know more than alan greenspan you the guy who's here with no shoes or whatever yeah. he says and I was thinking, you know, it seems kind of awesome to work in a giant office with no shoes on and shorts and a t-shirt. Seems I would I would hate being in that office with him if I was one of his people who work for him or whatever. Oh, me too, with the blasting of metal all the <laughs> time. Like, You're like, okay, this is, I kind of wish that I could actually think. But sure. But the uh, relaxed atmosphere at least is pretty cool. Well, well, I meant for him. I didn't mean like working for him. I meant being yeah. him. Yeah, exactly. Must be. Yeah, that's the part that I liked. The rest of it, no, I'm not. I work from home now, so I'm not going into an office. I always work without shoes. 
<laughs> kind of. I got slippers on right now. Um, so now we're getting to the point where like things are getting weird, right? Uh -huh. Like the, the loans are defaulting, but the, you know, the stocks aren't going down. Right. Yeah. Matter of fact, they're starting to go up in a and, lot of cases. And all our characters are looking at this and going, why, what? This is not, not only is this like not what I expected, it doesn't make sense given how the markets operate. I think the best line that describes like what they were feeling during this mm. is actually one of the younger guys talking mm. to Brad Pitt. And he's like, it's like two plus two equals fish, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a fantastic line. And the just the amount of confusion that they, that all these that they're portraying all these guys having is it gets it really get it gets it across because it's not the sort of thing that you and I would necessarily look at and be like yeah why is this happening you know it makes as little sense as anything does right exactly and then you've got you know the the Mark Baum team is yelling at Ryan Gosling <laughs> he's mm -hmm. sitting there waiting for them to be done yeah and the one guy's like I pulled a muscle on my back from yelling another <laughs> yeah. just fun there's a, there's a lot of very there's a lot of fun levity to help digest the rest of everything that's going on exactly I like that he's like tell me the difference between stupid and illegal and I'll have my wife's brother arrested <laughs> and I love that the other guy like laughs and you know and they're like mm -hmm. they're like looking at it it was funny it was a good line <laughs> good line yeah um just a great little back and forth i was really enjoying the like the the rivalry frenemy situation between ryan gosling and steve carell yeah but he's telling he tells them they need to go to vegas like to meet meet the people that you're that you think are safeguarding this you know mm -hmm. and then we get the crazy organ music which apparently uh is from Phantom of the Opera, I think you mm -hmm. said you told yeah. me, which is very fitting for as yeah. we're going into this. Um, and then again, we get into the more of the little rivalry stuff, and Ryan Gosling's like shaming Steve Carell, being like, Well, I was here six hours ago and I did this yeah. and I did this, and then he just responds, going, Thank you for your diary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, don't make a spectacle yourself, go out there, talk to people, like see what they're talking about that kind of stuff like just listen and then he goes into he goes into a seminar and he's it's like you know what do you think the uh what do you what's the probability that you know we these uh defaults go stay below five percent mm -hmm. the guy's like that's yeah, you know it's definitely gonna stay below five percent <laughs> zero zero percent chance that it stays below five percent and then it takes call and leaves and then I, then ryan gosling looks at the camera mark Baum really did that he said that he took the call nice yeah. if i had to deal with it's another moment where we get the no 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 this looks cinematic but it happened this way i know i love that mark Baum really did that he said that he took the call <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's wild too, you know, because they're cutting back and forth between all these characters that they've introduced, right? And mm -hmm. it's just crazy how close Michael Burry comes to losing it all. Yeah, it's like so fucked up because like there's such clear fraud happening, and nobody believes him. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you're just wrong. Yeah, the younger guys, you know, they end up uh, being able to 
to do something I guess none of the others did was they bought basically everything that wasn't AAA was shit, apparently. Yeah. Um, so they bought some um, shorts against double A's and, and they're like excited and dancing. And it's a very sobering moment because Brad Pitt's character dresses down the younger, the younger guys. Yeah. And he's like, for every 1% unemployment goes up, 40,000 people die. And I, I actually looked that up because I thought, I, I don't want to say this in the podcast and then, you know, have it be like, oh, this has already been debunked like 15 yeah. times. Yeah. But it, it actually is a pretty accurate number. I mean, it's just, that's a very sobering number. Mm-hmm. To just, um, you know, to remind everybody that the economy isn't just a, you know, a, a, a game that you're playing, you know? Yeah. I just, you know, I like, just, just don't dance. Yeah, just don't dance. <laughs> um, and then we get into, uh, so now Mark Baum is actually going to meet who I think is the shittiest person in the movie. Uh, I think I would go with the uh, Florida guys, but I this guy is he's right there. If it's it's it, it might be it might be close. Oh, really this guy, like I just viscerally hated this guy. Mm -hmm. He was he was such a piece because I I felt like the other two were such character caricature bros mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, okay, they're just douches. You know, they don't really know anything. Yeah. But this guy, like, knew shit, mm -hmm. knew it was fucked up was so clearly out for himself mm -hmm. and just like didn't care. Mm -hmm. oh, I hated him. But he he's was, the one who's oh go ahead, I'm sorry. No, he was, I'm just he was and then I have nothing to say beyond that because fuck him. Yeah, fuck that guy. But um yeah, I mean, you know, this is where we find learn about the synthetic CDOs, which is just a well, I mean the character says pretty well, right? Synthetic mm -hmm. CDOs, that is fucking crazy. Um, I, I, honestly, like this whole thing, it was just terrifying to me. Yeah, I'm, like I, watching this, going like, this is so fucked up. And, and like the fact, I don't. I mean, these people are like doing such such playing such games, and we don't even know, you know. Like, well, I guess we know now, but we didn't know. But who knows? Are they doing it again? We wouldn't yeah. know, you know. Yeah, exactly. We. <laughs> We're just oblivious to it, and it's like, well. According to not Mark Baum, apparently things are a little bit better and more secure. But I hope he's right. You know, I hope he's not just saying that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would say you know, this is sort of why I'm surprised that the real Mark Baum, Steve Eisman, or whatever his name is, mm -hmm. didn't like Corral's take on him because. I mean, I get that he's angry all the time, but he's mm -hmm. coming off looking really good. Yeah, he, he 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 looks better than most of the rest of the characters, frankly. Like to to that point, I mean, reading that thing about him saying that it actually isn't that bad, and you know yeah. we're okay, it made me feel better. I'm like, well, he thinks so, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's because of this movie. And now I was thinking about it too, and I'm like. I'm wondering if he's sort of projecting the that what he doesn't like about the portrayal is really just because he's sort of having to relive a terrible yeah. moment, you know, yeah, because because be. you see that performance and he's he's where he's upset about the loss of his brother. Uh -huh. And then you have to relive it. I don't know. I could see how that would be just like, yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, that's true. But we move from that very 
like sad moment to Ryan uh-huh. Gosling's character just bullying the shit out of people. <laughs> <laughs> get out of the can, right? Yeah, get out of the bathroom. No, fucking go, go. <laughs> and then one guy just happened to be in the stall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you hear? What did you hear, Jerry? <laughs> um, or whatever the guy's name was. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But the whole thing, I'm just like, God, this is just absolutely despicable. You know. Uh-huh. Especially when they're like doing the vignettes and they're showing what's happening to like regular people throughout this whole thing. I'm just, just mm. God, it's yeah, that's, awful. you couldn't, it would be, it would be, a, it would be tough to make this movie without a lot of the humor. And I'm not saying you couldn't do it. It could just be like a, a very depressing thing, but like, cause there are more depressing movies in the world than this would be, but it would be, it would be a tougher it would be kind of a tough watch without a lot of the, a lot of the lighter stuff. Yeah, I I agree. Because it makes you. It's not even just that it's sad. It it makes you angry because like, despite what Mark Baum, not Mark Baum says, you know, you still feel like this might be happening, and they're just gonna do everything that they have always been doing. And like, what are we gonna do about it? Huh? Nothing. Exactly. We're gonna be like, oh man, it happened again. Darn. I guess I'll lose all my money again. So now we, we, we kind of sort of cut to Michael Burry getting his satisfying, like I told you so, that, yeah. that email he sends to the guy that was being such a dick to him. Mm-hmm. Like, here's your massive profit. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your massive, massive profit. You're welcome. I like the, the you're welcome is so passive aggressive and fun. I know. I loved that. I would have reveled in that if it had been me. Oh, yeah. It's funny because, you know, the, the thing at the end says that Mark Baum didn't do that, didn't do the I told you so stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which is it's kind of cool, but I don't know. I feel like that would be kind of hard. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not sure why. But Michael Burry talking about how he met his wife in that email, like when he's you know narrating his email. Yeah, it was very touching. I it it got was. because it, it's because of what we've seen of the character so far. Far, you know? yeah. yeah. Um, his awkwardness, but not his awkwardness, not but not making him a bad person at all. Just. It's 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 nice that he was able to find someone who appreciated, right? Exactly the good points about him, despite not necessarily being easy to see. I liked that you know it's like that's exactly what I was looking. You're exactly what I'm looking for, and mm-hmm. what she means is honest. Mm-hmm. So, cool. I was kind of wondering where he was going with that when he was talking. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, really? That well, doesn't seem like yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, it was crazy when he goes up to the board and he's, you know, like profit, profit $2.9 billion. That's that's a huge profit. That's unbelievable. Well, you know, it's funny when he was going at the beginning of the movie, when he was going around buying all the all the positions or whatever it was. I don't really even I watched this movie. I'm not even sure how to say it exactly. (laughs) Um, I was thinking, you know, knowing that he's going to to make money here. Because I remember, because this is how it happened. Um, I'm like, how is he not like the richest guy in the world now because of all yeah, this? Really. I remembered a couple. Well, one that a lot of that was the money that he was investing on behalf of his clients. Right. Exactly. Not, not money that was going directly into his pocket. And also, I'm not. I'm not. I'm married to a mathematician and a math professor. Um, I am myself not very good at math. You're much better at math than I am. So I'm probably not. <laughs> illuminating your understanding of anything but i'll say it anyway uh, a billion is a lot 
<laughs> it's a lot, a lot. Like, more than you think even. Because when um, my spouse was in grad school learning math stuff, especially, uh, like, for math education, they there's, like, a little exercise you can do with people where you can draw a line and be like, here's a number line, here's zero at one end, and the other end is a billion. Um, one billion. Draw where you think one million goes. And most people will put it kind of near the middle. Yeah, that's not it. It's it, it's not even close to the middle. It's so close to zero, you'd be surprised. Yeah. And I don't mean it's on zero. It's actually a bit farther down the line than all that. But um, um, That's like when they... Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, it's just people seem to think that a billion is like more than a million, but not a heck of a lot more. You know, it's just sort of the next level. It is level. so much more. It's so, so much, much more. more. <laughs> so... And sometimes I want to tell that to people, what, like when they talk about, you know, the richest people on earth, who I don't know whose names I don't care to say because I don't want to make it about any of them. But like when they have a hundred billion dollars with a B, I, I, it's it's beyond. It's uh, it's staggering. You, it's almost it's, hard to fathom. Mm -hmm. it, it's one of those. It's it's numbers that are actually large enough that you can hardly think about it. You know, right? You know, it's um, it's sort of like when you look at uh the calendar of existence mm -hmm. right right yeah so if you look at the entire existence of uh of the universe mm -hmm. it would take up like one tenth of one second yeah uh, at the end of the calendar mm -hmm. our, our human existence it's, it's, it's staggering and you can tell that we're talking about way too much money when we're comparing it to like things on a universal time scale you know yeah well think so, about i mean because the universe is what 13 billion years old right so yeah. we're talking about that sort of scale and human existence is around you know somewhere between 200,000 and 100 and a million years right uh -huh. and that is an infinitesimal uh -huh. amount of time in comparison so like when you look at that and you say somebody could have 13 billion dollars and not be the richest person in the world mm -hmm. it's shitty that having a hundred thousand dollars in the mm -hmm. bank is that much less i know <laughs> that's the thing it's how how much more these people have than just even people who are doing well you know yeah now i know that so a lot of the net worth stuff is uh yeah i know it's all stuff misleading yeah exactly because it's not money that they actually have um but they're doing okay yeah yes that's what i like to say when people are like well they don't actually have that money on hand it's like is there anything on earth that they couldn't buy if they wanted right exactly there's nothing that they would get turned away they from. could buy a social media company if they want yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it doesn't matter that you can't fucking hand over the cash you know what i mean <laughs> right um but yeah so you know then they show the the guys outside and they're like well they're gonna go to jail at least right yeah. and then they have that vignette about how it should have gone yeah, yeah but exactly. actually the fact that it didn't, it just, it makes you so angry, which is the point, but it's just uh -huh. like, God, fuck these guys. Did you, did you feel like they were just messing with you at that point? Yes. Like, because for like a millisecond, I was like, wait a second, this isn't, wait, did some people go to jail? I don't, and then that's the like, same oh, thing no. I did. I was like, wait, was there some, oh no, there wasn't. <laughs> yeah. They're just fucking with us and making me even angrier than I would have been. <laughs> yeah. One dude went to jail. One. And like you know, that's crazy. Yeah, 
And I like how it made the point that like everybody else did what he did too. Just for some reason, he went to jail. Yeah. So it's not even like he was that much worse than anyone. And the toll of the Great Recession is just mm-hmm. so disturbing and staggering. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm not usually a huge fan of like the written exposition at the end of like this is what happened. What you know after the end of the movie with this guy. Yeah. But I I liked it here. I, I mm-hmm. think mostly because they're. I think it's because they're real people. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're fictional characters, it feels just like, okay, I can just imagine what happened to them. You know? <laughs> yeah, we can just pretend. Yeah. <laughs> okay, they got married in it later. Yeah. Like, <laughs> neat. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's it. That's the whole movie. So uh, now we move on to the rank. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're going to rank the movie based on 10 categories. Story, acting, originality, film coherence, cinematography, score slash soundtrack, script structure and dialogue, character relatability, production value, and timelessness. Mm-hmm. Now, for this ranking, uh, if you've watched, if you've, if you've listened, I don't know. I want you to watch. Apparently, <laughs> my podcast. Um, <laughs> Hack into my in my webcam and watch me while I'm not looking. Yeah, it's my fetish. Please, yeah, yeah. That's uh, apparently more of a fetish than you would think, because a lot of the Me Too guys were were that. Like, Neat. watch me do this. Neat. That's all I'm gonna say. Let's move on. Yeah. Anyway, I just never. I don't understand that. Anyway. <laughs> me neither. We could spend a while talking about that. I don't no fetishes we don't get. I I'm like, why did you want them to watch you do that? There's like nothing that I don't want anybody to see me do that. Anyway, so <laughs> and while we're on the subject, diapers. What's up with yeah. that? <laughs> That's not sexy. Yeah. yeah, it's gross. As a matter yeah. of fact, just the smell of diapers is gross, and I don't mean dirty diapers. I just mean regular ones. They smell. Funny. I I genuinely. I, yeah, it's, there's some bizarre fetishes out there. Anyway, those two aren't the weirdest ones is the sad thing. The ones we said, those two are weird, but they're not the weirdest. Uh, yeah. There's scat, right? I yep. mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get a heck the of a thing is, is I can't even like, I don't even like to say it because it immediately conjures the image of two girls, one cup. And I, I like, no, it was so back. funny how that made the rounds of the internet. We all had to watch it and we we're like, why did we see that? Wait, what? why? Why did anybody? Oh my god! I'm oh, I'm gonna start gagging. I'm thinking about it. I gotta get okay. Let's get back into this because I can't think about that. Um, so for for those of you who have not listened to, to the action movie portion of this podcast, we we rank the action movies on a scale of one to five. But for the best picture nominees, we're gonna do a scale of one to ten. Mm. One being the worst, ten being the best. Um, I think the hope is that a one to ten scale will help us differentiate these excellent movies a little bit more because mm-hmm. I worry that a scale of one to five is like everything's f- between four and five. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'll I'll start. The first category is story, mm-hmm. and uh, I gave story a nine. Mm-hmm. I found it to be a fascinating story that I, I think would be really hard to bring to the screen, but it's. Mm-hmm even more impressive that they were able to do it and able to do it with such success. So that's what I gave it. What did, what did you give it for story? I gave it an eight, um, pretty similar, except, uh, except what (laughs) I had something that flew out of my brain. Um, no, it's a good story. Um, it's an important story to tell. 
is 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 the real thing for me like i'm glad that they made this movie even if i didn't care for it much i'm not saying i didn't but if i didn't like it i would still be glad they made it because it's it explains some concepts that i think it's important for the rest of us to know but um the story was good but not necessarily the world's most engaging yeah i I'm, i can see where you're coming from on that well the next category is acting and what uh what did you have for that one for an acting i i did six which i think is going to surprise you um because the acting was pretty well pretty highly praised and uh, christian bale got a oscar <laughs> nomination for it <laughs> well but, uh, clearly it, you don't agree with the academy no a lot of the performances didn't really quite work for me christian bale was fun. i mean nobody was bad so i don't want to like sit here and like i hated the acting in this it was just pretty pretty okay for most of it um some of it was a little over the top and i wonder if that was like what they were going for and like it's funny that christian bale's um performance was over the top for me because it was understated but it was over the top understated it was like he googled you know person who seems autistic and, <laughs> and like i think you said that he spent time with the actual guy to like yeah get a sense of him so that's probably not fair but it, it feels a little like uh you know like when when actors play someone with a with a mental handicap and it just feels like I can tell you're just acting here, you know, like, and you're not even doing a bad job. It's just, you're very much acting. And, uh, I think the best actor in this was actually, um, Steve Carell. I think he did a very nice performance. It was very in his wheelhouse as far as the humor of it. And like, I don't want to say the anger, cause it's not like he plays angry people all the time, but, but he nailed it, uh, pretty strongly. Uh, several, everybody else was okay. A uh, small, uh, small mention to Marissa Tomei is uh, Steve Carell's character's wife. She was very good in a very limited amount of time. She's always really good. Yeah, she's always good, though. So, and uh, I thought Jeremy Strong was actually pretty good. Um, I liked him as Steve Carell's like second in command, as far as I could tell. <laughs> a little bit, a, a little bit like even more of a caustic version of Steve Carell's character. Right. And also, he's everywhere right now because he's on Succession. That's a very big show at this very moment. Yeah, I didn't even know that. So, <laughs> no, he's um, all. I'm on. You know, he's. I'm on Twitter, and he's like, everybody's like, "Ooh, Jeremy Strong thirst." That's like, okay, moving on. Really, that they're thirsting for him? Yeah, some people are thirsting. Not, not that he's ugly or anything. Yeah. I don't mean it like that. I just, you know, he didn't seem like a heartthrob to me. Yeah, well, uh, I think I think I don't know anything about his character on the show, but I think his character might be like heartthrobby. Yeah, an attitude, maybe. I don't know. We're, uh, we're, we're completely, I'm completely wrong. I'm getting the wrong impression. Either well, way, everybody I, was all right. What about you acting? I'm sorry. Well, I, I gave a, a higher score. I I did 8.75. And okay. it's funny, too, because I was I was kind of going back and forth on this one. I, honestly, the whole thing, and, I, and I'm sure this is going to be the case for us, especially with this one, because um, mm. it's the first one. It's, it's, it's hard to give too high a score early mm. on because you get sort of, stupidly worried that yeah. like you're setting yourself up for a precedence that yeah. you know isn't isn't the right one but um i i gave it an 8.75 i i really enjoyed the acting um i just think that the characters were kind of mostly two-dimensional right so it limits yeah um what they can give to you like as an example i think ryan gosling was a lot of fun in this mm -hmm. 
but he was Ryan Gosling. Like I never was like, oh, that's you know, mm-hmm. whatever his name is, Venet. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I think the acting was excellent for what they were tasked with, mm-hmm. right? Um. So I just. No, that's I, just, really, I, get, I just want to explain why I can't give it a 10. Yeah. <laughs> no, you make a really good point. I think some of my criticisms might actually be down to more, a lot of characters in the movie and they didn't want the runtime to be ridiculous. So, <laughs> right. Like, for all I know, there's all sorts of footage on the cutting room floor of, of all of them being a lot more convincing. It's just that you can only leave so much in. Right, right. Or not and not convincing, but a lot of them going into farther depth with their own characters. And you can really you kind of have to use shorthand for a lot of them when you have a bunch of characters in a heady movie. So it's not like you can spend all this time. Yeah, and I and I mean I, I do think it's sort of interesting because I, I agree with you. I think Steve Carell was the I don't I don't want to say he was the best actor in it, mm-hmm. but his character had the most depth. Mm-hmm. Right, because Michael Burry is, um, you know, kind of, he seems like he's on the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of inherent with a character like that is that there's not a lot of emotional depth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with no knock to people that have, um, that are on the spectrum. I don't mean it like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But, you know, Steve Carell had got to have a breakdown, mm-hmm. right? And he gets to explore these... Uh, these deeper emotions and he has to be subtle about it because he doesn't have the um, available screen time. So I thought he was excellent. Sort mm-hmm. of surprised that he didn't get the nomination. Yeah. Jim Bale did. Maybe it's just, you know, the gravitas that uh, the Christian Bale already had at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the next category is originality. So for originality, I actually gave it a 10. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I can't think of anything like it. Mm-hmm. It's um I thought it was a really cool blend of documentary style and film. It's got comedy and drama elements. It was just an incredibly unique movie. And I, I just kept going back to because I was like, do I really want to give a 10 already? Mm-hmm. But I just kept going back to the idea of like I I could not think of a single other movie that was anything like it. Mm-hmm. Um maybe it's just because I haven't seen all the movies. <laughs> <laughs> you, you haven't seen all the movies ever made? That's correct. I have not. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> you you call you you say you're into movies. Name all the movies. <laughs> but when we whenever we get to watching uh, Bloodsport two, I'm sure I'll. Oh yeah, that'll that'll probably lower the score for this one. Anyway, <laughs> so, so what's your score for originality? You know what did the financial crisis of 2007 better than this movie? Or better than this movie, Bloodsport two. <laughs> exactly. Is there a Bloodsport two? I don't know. <laughs> Let's not Google it because we might. There, there it. is. I think there's four blood sports. <laughs> That's, but none of them have JCVD. Oh darn! Now yeah. I'm not gonna watch them. So originality for me, I went with an <laughs> eight point five, which is lower than you did. But uh, I still think it was very original and good. It, it in fact did remind me a little bit of a lot of the other, you know, fast talking, you know fast-paced movies about the financial sector um so it wasn't i didn't find it quite as original but it still did a lot of things in a very original way which i liked and uh 
the the fourth wall breaking and the little the little asides where we get the celebrities talking to us about it. I thought that that was really fun and very effective and probably the best way to do it, despite not necessarily being the first way you would think to do it. Would you say that that's original? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Yes. <laughs> I hadn't heard of anything like that before this movie, and then I remember when it came out, and it was like, wow, that seems interesting. Well, so the next category is film coherence. So uh, what what say you on that? I gave it a nine because it was extremely coherent and uh, they took a difficult subject and at least let us roll with it. I didn't quite get a lot of the stuff still. You know, the terminology, if nothing else. And I know that a lot of it was explained, but still they're talking about things and I just it's easy to let it wash over you a bit, which it did, but that's okay because I was still able to follow along. Right, right. Well, I gave it a nine and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, again, it's the tough subject matter, like you mm -hmm. like you were just saying. And I think you could easily lose people. Mm -hmm. um, but they do it so it's so succinctly done and non-patronizing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I just I can't imagine needing more or less. But I do think it's not perfect because Adam McKay likes to linger in his dialogue, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I enjoyed all the dialogue, but obviously I don't know that all of it was absolutely necessarily mm -hmm. entirely necessary. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's sort of a nitpicky thing, but I don't think you can say it's, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. that. Now the next one is cinematography, which isn't sort of a tough one. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's kind of a tough category, but we, I think it was, filmed exactly as it was supposed to be mm -hmm. um you know wasn't aesthetically beautiful or anything but you know i don't know that anything jumps out to you as like oh wow this was like a really cool you know angle or style or whatever it was just kind of like you know just mm -hmm. sort of jumping around documentary yeah. style handheld look to it I, I don't think that you can say it's a great cinema cinema that it was great cinematography, uh, it's, but it's not bad. You know, it did mm -hmm. what it was supposed to do. So what do you have for cinematography? Uh, I, I don't remember you saying what score you actually gave it. Oh, I gave it a seven. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I, uh, I, was, I was trying to remember. Would that sneak in there? I didn't hear it. But I gave it a 7.8 for the same, pretty much the same reason, except just a little bit, of, a little bit more because I thought a lot of the, uh, like you said, the sort of jumping between things style fit the story and the, the, the pace of it pretty well. So I thought that was effective. Yeah. Nothing else to say beyond that. So. <laughs> right, is, well, then, the reason this is a tough category is because like, we're not, I mean, maybe we're not cinematographers. Yeah. Or film historians or anything like that. And I, right. maybe, maybe people are going, well, what the fuck are you doing this podcast? Cause I don't know, whatever we like movies. Cause it's fun. Uh huh. It is fun. And uh, you're so listening, you know, <laughs> who's the bigger fool, the fool or the fool follows them. That's a good question. And also you that person is now going, why the fuck am I listening to this? And yeah, to cut that they, out. They made it through most of the episodes, so <laughs> we're fine with that. Um but uh where are we? Yeah, no. Well good. the next category is score slash soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Um so what do you have for that? I gave that one an eight because I thought it was just sim similar to cinematography. It was it was effective if more so than cinematography, actually, because it had a lot of a lot of very jarring 
sort of cuts to different kinds of music like that uh the phantom of the opera overture part that was like very like okay well that was that was loud and sudden and uh, and then it, and then it goes into like two other completely different songs it's like wow they're really going for something here i can just imagine adam mckay going through his 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 ipod and being like what the let's let's, let's find something disparate get, get a different you know sort of music and uh and uh like for and like some of it was the music was a little bit fourth wall breaking like the one where we got that extended bit of that ludicrous video Right, that's right. That was sort of sort of incorporated into the movie, but not exactly. I don't know. It was it was interesting. It was interesting, if nothing else, and I appreciate an interesting soundtrack. Well, I gave it a six. Mm -hmm. um, I, I sort of found it unmemorable, mm -hmm. and I mean, the only thing that sticks out to me really is the the one character loving to listen to metal. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's because that's kind of crazy. Um, but you know, listening to you talk about it, there was. Yeah, I was. I guess I sort of forgot about the montages. Well, I didn't forget mm -hmm. about them, but the movie, but the montages were very evocative. Um, and I thought it was cool that the way that they used the music to to kind of carry you along the path of where they were going in a short amount of time, right? So I liked that about it, but um, and I liked the way they used it to show what we were thinking about culturally as like a, as a group, yeah. group think. Um, so those were well done. So I, I wouldn't go below average. I, you know, it's like slightly above average. That's what I went with. Mm -hmm. So um, the next category is script structure and dialogue. And I actually gave this a 10 as well. So I gave mm -hmm. two perfect scores in here. Um, I think it's hard to argue that the script and dialogue aren't perfect for this mm -hmm. film. Um, they adapted a book that really wasn't exactly screaming like movie adaptation. And the, mm -hmm. not only did they do it, but they did it with a plum. And I mean, I think it's sort of hard to deny that I, I, you, you watching this all the way through. I just was like, so Adam McKay is the Aaron Sorkin of comedy. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's a, it's kind of, it's a, he's a master at dialogue. It's a, it's a, yeah, I thought it was excellent. So, no, I, I, um, same. I, I went, I'm sorry. Am, am I? No, no, no. I was just about to ask you, what, what did you give it? I uh, gave it a nine. Uh, I, I know that's not perfect, but I feel the same way. Uh, I think that that's a really apt description. Call him like Aaron Sorkin like because of the dialogue being, being, being very much in that style. Um, and, it sort of being this particular one being sort of having a lot of technical dialogue, but you still technical dialogue delivered quickly and not like with an audience in mind. Exactly. More right. like the characters are just talking to themselves instead of amongst themselves. And I know characters in movies are always talking amongst themselves, but it almost feels more like they're not super concerned with holding our hands, but it, it works because I think the audience it lives up to the movie's expectations of them. Right, um, I I hate when movies are like, like the you, you ever. I know it it works in movies for like the one scientist character in the among the three scientist characters in the lab, and the one scientist character hasn't heard of whatever that is. Yeah, <laughs> and they have to explain it to him, and it's like really he didn't know. They're all scientist characters, but he didn't know what 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 Masterson's disease is. You know what I mean? You know what's what's funny is 
you talking about that immediately conjured up um, a scene in my mm-hmm. brain. And I was a, I was about to start talking about it after you were done. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't do that because uh, that is from a movie that we're going to be watching for this year. <laughs> so never mind, I guess. So I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, is, hopefully I can remember this when we do that movie and be like, this is what I was going to tell you about. Is it from Spotlight and one of the priests has it heard of molestation? Yes, surprisingly. I thought so. I don't know what kind of thing. like, like leave. molest? Mm, no, I've never heard. What is the, the term that you speak of? How do you do that exactly? And the other yeah. priest go, Billy, get in here. Yeah. I'll show you. Oh, God. That's, that is, woo. That's a tough joke. All right, let's so, cut that one out. Yep, <laughs> character. Let, let me let me Ooh. get another shot at that. Let me make a joke about the Holocaust instead. <laughs> um, all right, so character relatability is uh, <laughs> is the next category. Um, what did you do for that one? Uh, seven, because I thought that the characters were not super relatable. But I mean, how could they be? I'm not a finance guy. You know, these are. The some of the richest people in the country, some of the most successful and like high powered, fast paced jobs in the country, which is not me. Um, I like roll out of bed and sometimes do a podcast with you. That's the extent of my life for the most part at the moment. <laughs> so, uh, but they did a good job. Uh, everyone was pretty relatable, if a bit two dimensional, as you said. On uh, I think on acting, maybe you said I'm not sure either one. So, you know. They did about as good a job as they could do, given the limitations and characters. Yeah, you know, I um, I actually gave it an eight and a half, mm. and I I found them all to be pretty relatable. So here's here's the difficulty that I had because I I thought the same thing you did. Like their profession makes them not relatable to anybody who's not in that profession, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I I sort of I tried to take that out of it, right? Because they're they're fairly two dimensional. So what I was thinking about it i was like did when they were happy was i able to be happy with them like could i relate to why they were happy could i relate to why they were afraid or whatever right so when when i think about it in those terms I, I did for the most part right i when they were gleeful and excited like when they were dancing you know um mm-hmm. the guys i felt that i was like yeah you know good for them that's exciting and then when they got dressed down and they immediately felt bad, I was like, oh, God, that kind of makes me feel bad. So I was I was relating to them. Um, mm-hmm. And I related to their fears as well, you know, when, yeah. they, when they did that. But, you know, the constant anger of one, the constant douchiness of Ryan Gosling's yeah. character. You know, it's um, there's just not a lot of nuance with the characters and so it makes it a little bit harder to be completely related like for them to be completely relatable but i think within the boundaries that they were given i i yeah i was right there with them so mm-hmm. um now the next one is production value and i gave that one a nine mm-hmm. it's uh it's a relatively small budget when compared to like the the action movies we've been watching um but I couldn't tell that while I was watching it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like they did things very effectively, and I thought they got a lot of bang for their buck. So, um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really well done. But uh, what say you? So uh, I also gave it a nine because I thought the production value was pretty much exactly what you'd want. Um, 
I suppose that maybe should be a 10, but I don't know. I'm giving it a nine. Um, <laughs> I would have believed that it had a higher budget. Not that like, you know, this has a James Cameron kind of budget, but uh, it, every, I mean, it was professional, you know, <laughs> like there was no points where I was like, Ooh, you can tell that they were a little strapped for cash here. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I we're on the same page there. So the next category is the last category, which is timelessness. So what do you have for that? So for timelessness, I gave an 8.25 because it's a little difficult to know with a, for, I know you said it was movies from eight years ago or some shit, which seems like it was just came out, but <laughs> I, uh, so it's hard to know exactly. This is really going to be timeless. Are people in the year 20, in the year 2000, are people going to be watching this movie and Ooh, what a timeless film here on Turner classic movies. But, uh, I think it, it 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 documents an exact period in time. It does it really well, and it documents an important occurrence. And um, I feel like it gets the the I feel like it gets the time across really well. You know that exact moment in time. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. So I gave it a seven point two five. You know, the movie is intrinsically tied to the Great Recession, right? Um, and the Great Recession will obviously continue to live on in infamy, but I don't know that this will become the movie that is like shown as the anthem for that period. And I could be wrong. It definitely could be, but I just don't know that it will. Um, I, I see its potential for timelessness, but I, I mm -hmm. do wonder if, I guess, I, I guess what I sort of wonder is, that, is there going to be a movie that's like, uh, a dramatized moment from that time period that focuses on, you know, a family and tells a more gut-wrenching story and then yeah. that becomes the timeless movie for for the Great Recession. You know what I mean? It's almost yeah, I, yeah. It's almost too technical. Yeah. Not that it is too technical, but I just I think that's part of why I hold back on the timelessness of it while it is excellent um, I think that, yeah, I think that that might there. hold it back. Um, anyway, that's that's my thinking on it. Well, so that is the rank. So what we do with that is we take the total between the two of us, um, our scores, and um, it ends up coming out to 165.55. I have no idea how good that's going to end up being. <laughs> It's currently the best best picture of all time. By a lot. Um, yeah. It's 165.55 to zero right now. Um, <laughs> and, and Bloodsport 2 at zero. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, as we move on here, we'll find out if, if 165.55 is it's a really good, good score or really, you know, average or mediocre or, um, you know, bad. Mm -hmm. so, I guess we'll find out. I can't imagine it would be bad because, like, I the thought it was the movie. <laughs> Actually, um, it would be interesting to take bets, not bets like people are betting, but, you know, to bet right now what we think the worst best picture of all time is. I mean, I have an idea of Me what too, that'll but be. There, th <laughs> but there could be some pretty bad ones early on. And... That we just, uh, yeah, we just haven't seen them. Yeah. Um, well, you know, thank you for listening to our you know, lowly podcast. 
if you'd like to see an updated list of our rankings, which after this episode, I would think you might not because it's just going to be one movie. But if you do want to see it or look at our other rankings, um, you can do that at the rank with John and Zach.com. You can check us out next week when we're ranking Bridge of Spies, the 2015 Best Picture nominee starring Tom Hanks and directed by Steven Spielberg. So on behalf of uh, uh, everyone here at John and Zach the Rank, uh, goodbye. And may your stocks continuously rise. So you had never seen the big short, right? Mm-mm, never. Well, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> oh,